Hi, I'm Josh Siegel. Hi, I'm Yoni Pruce. And welcome back to The Floater. Um, today, we were going to do our top 10, 12 players in NBA history. But given what's going on in the greater world, we didn't feel like that was appropriate. So today we have me and Yoni here. And we're going to do a podcast about the history of sports as an outlet for social justice and what role the sports world can play in making the world a better place. Yeah. So obviously, as Josh said, there's been a lot going on the past few days and we felt it was necessary or we felt it was correct of us just to make a podcast here to talk about how sports intertwines with the social justice going on in today's world and the history of the United States. Because at the end of the day, this doesn't need to be said, but it's just a game. And in the greater scheme yeah. of things, there are things that are so much more important than sports. But sports yeah. has always served as an incredible outlet to help make the world a better place. Yeah. So um, before we head into talking about how those intertwined sports and social justice, as Josh just said, I think just I'll just say this. The, um Remember, well, remember to look at floaterpod.com for articles, floaterpod on Instagram, and the floater on Spotify, and on Twitter if you want. We're also there. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to plug that in before yeah. we got in the actual discussion. Yeah. Josh, what did you, what was something that you wanted to bring up first? Well, I think it's just throughout history, sports has always been a place where during both as a place that can be an agent for change and a place that during times of strife, people look to for unity. I mean, if we just look through the history of sports, like, I don't think it's wrong to say that Jackie Robinson is one of the 10 most important people of the civil rights movement. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. I mean, and just if you look at baseball as a whole, During the Civil Rights Movement, baseball really served as a model for how America could look because it took a while, but baseball really did reach a point of racial harmony by the 1960s. Um, And it was really a beautiful thing, both on the field and the way people talk about it, um, looking back. But I think an important thing is the way people use those platforms to use that themselves as an example to try to make change in the greater world. I mean, some of the great African-American and Latino heroes of the time were some of the great agents for change. I mean, obviously Jackie Robinson, but then we all know about Roberto Clemente and everything that he did. Um, You know, a famous story is during the 1968 Detroit race riots, Willie Horton, who was an African-American all-star for the Tigers, left the game. As soon as the game ended, he left the ballpark in his uniform to go out into the streets and try to serve as a mediator um, to try to calm things down. I mean, in that decade, you had people, like, during the summer of the Freedom Riders, a group, it was like Jim Brown, Bill Russell... Um, and a couple other guys went down to Mississippi to try to help the cause. 
Um, there's obviously guys like Muhammad Ali who are social justice titans. I just think throughout history, you can always see a link between what's happening in sports and what's happening in the greater world. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I something that I always remember, and this story isn't the same as what you were talking about, but you said at the beginning that sports players oftentimes connect sports to the, what's happening in the greater world, and they also unify people. And so I just something that always gives me goosebumps is watching David Ortiz give his speech after the Boston bombings at the marathon. Not that that's the same as what's going on in the world today or what, what um, Bill Russell and Jim Brown or Muhammad Ali did back then, but I think that, as you were saying, what David Ortiz did just gives me goosebumps every time I think about it. Yeah, and I mean, I mean that's true in, in any situation. Like after nine eleven, baseball is what helped hold New York together for those next two months. I mean, the first game back when Mike Piazza hit a go ahead homer for the Mets is one of the more incredible moments in baseball history, and that Yankees team went on an incredible run to the World Series, and it really was. I mean, the one time in history where everyone was rooting for the Yankees because the way they were uplifting the city was incredible. And honestly, one of the great moments in sports history and a moment that gives me goosebumps every time it's brought up is George W. Bush came out to throw the first pitch before Game 3 of the World Series. And that's a group of people who might in New York who might not necessarily have been big fans of his. But there was a massive USA chant when he came out to to throw the pitch. And he threw a perfect strike. And there was an understanding between everyone about the moment that they were in. And the fact that this was helping them come together as a unifying force. And that they would be able to get through it. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Just thinking about that moment. Yeah. I've watched that video so many times. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's it's, it's incredible. I mean, and it's just look throughout history. Even like Hank Aaron, when he broke Babe Ruth's home run record, Hank Aaron was always an incredible agent for change, and it was incredible the way baseball rallied around him, because especially being a player in the South, playing for the Atlanta Braves, he received death threat after death threat among people who did not want to see a black man like break a white man's record, but the entire sport rallied around him and him breaking Babe Ruth's record is one of the more incredible moments in baseball history. Um, like Babe Ruth's wife and daughter were there when it happened. I mean, just the support he got from the entire sports world to sort of stand up against the bigotry that was coming against him is it's really incredible. Yeah, that is incredible. And there's also, I mean, there's obviously the more recent stories and protests that have been happening. I mean, there's Colin Kaepernick who started kneeling during the national anthem, which led to many things happened in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's the, I can't breathe the shirts. Yeah. NBA um, players wore. NBA players war. There's the Donald Sterling. Yeah. Like those stories that came out and then the Clippers and I think the Heat 
didn't wear their yeah their warm up jerseys. I mean, there, it's been going on for the, all of sports history where many players have been using their leadership and platform as an agent for change. Yeah. What do you think is the role of leagues in helping players? The role of leagues? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, are you talking like commissioners? Well, I think it's talking... interesting the way it's manifested itself the past couple of years with the NFL and the NBA. Yeah. I mean, they've gone in very different directions. Yeah. Because, I mean, the way I've always felt is that the problem with the NFL was not necessarily they dealt with the kneeling question, but the way they dealt with greater things as a whole, because the NBA has a strict policy that during the national anthem, everyone must line up next to each other and they have to stand up, right? No kneeling, but no one was protesting because the NBA has always been so out front and ahead of everyone in terms of social justice. I mean, just some of the great players in the NBA, if you just look, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, LeBron, D. Wade, Derrick Rose, KD. I mean, now you see Jalen Brown driving down to Atlanta. You yeah. see Steven I mean, Jackson. Yeah. The way and he Malcolm was... Malcolm Brogdon and Dennis yeah. joined them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Steven, Steven Jackson. powerful. Yeah. He was a friend of George Floyd's, and his speech was really powerful. Like the NBA has never had, I let me. I won't say never, because the NBA was a dark place in the sixties and seventies and eighties in terms yeah. of the fan bases. But in the last twenty years, really, the NBA as a league has been doing everything it can to help out with the cause of social justice, and it made the players understand that the league was helping out. Whereas with the whole kneeling thing, like the NFL did absolutely nothing to indicate that they were there to help or that there was that they there was any movement when it came to social justice with the NFL i mean like me personally i would not kneel for the national anthem but i completely understand why people did it and i think the way the NFL responded to it was not good I mean, with the NFL, which, what you actually see is... So what's happened over the past couple years in the NFL is that the people who have stopped kneeling have actually done a lot of good in the world, where within the NFL, Colin, there's a sense that Colin Kaepernick has sort of been pushed to the outside, because really Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed have always been sort of together in this um and there was a group of players headlined by malcolm jenkins and anquan bolden who stopped kneeling and have started working with congress and with the nfl to try to push for change um and eric reed actually went after malcolm jenkins during a game last year and called him a sellout yeah because he stopped kneeling which i I take issue with just because you see the way that these people in the NFL have responded where the issue goes beyond them just kneeling and making a point and it comes to actually getting something done. Um, yeah. And I mean, if you want, yeah, continue. I have a lot of respect for the way those people have been working to make change independent of a league that won't necessarily help them. 
What'd you say? I said I have a lot of respect for those people who are going out to make change and are finding ways to do it independent of a league that has not been receptive to their concerns. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the main difference that I see if we're talking NFL and NBA is just the empowerment of the players. Yeah. Because I think in the NBA, especially through social media platforms, NBA players have been very vocal and outgoing and are just, I don't know, allowed more more freedom on how to like vocalize their opinions and their support for different movements. Whereas in the NFL, as you just talked about, there are many players that are doing good, but their their voices I don't think are as vocalized because if you were to ask, I think if we were talking just like casual NFL fans, I think obviously they would they would say that they've heard more so about the opinions of LeBron James or those players in the NBA compared to Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, and I mean, I think also it's important that the NBA is primarily, where it is true with the NFL, but in terms of the most important players, the NBA is African, is primarily African-American, where the NFL is majority African-American at the end of the day the most important position in football is quarterback. And it's a good thing that this is changing, but the quarterback position has been overwhelmingly white where just, if you look at the most and four important quarterbacks of this past decade, I think it's pretty inarguable that it's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Peyton Manning. Um, and I Seriously. hope, I really hope things are changing for the good in that respect. Because obviously we don't know what things are going to look like with rookies, but in terms of players who are established in the NFL, if you were to ask me the four most important quarterbacks over the next decade, I would predict that it would be Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson, none of whom are white, um, three of whom are black, and I think Mahomes is mixed, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I think he has an African-American father and a white mother. Um. But so but yeah, I, mean, I, I hope more... there will be a lot of progress coming in the NFL. I mean, Russell Wilson has been fairly vocal on Twitter the past couple of days. Yeah, I haven't. I actually haven't seen that. But I, I mean, hopefully, it's changing for the better in the NFL. Yeah, I think the NBA, as you talked about before, is has just been great with the social justice aspect in, over the past twenty years or so. Obviously, in the sixties, seventies, and even eighties, the NBA wasn't great. It was actually a bad place as to the social justice and the racism that was happening. Yeah. But recently, the NBA has been pushing forward and doing good. Yeah, I mean, the NBA, part of the ugly history with the NBA is that really the reason, the, like, people talk about how Magic and Bird saved the NBA, but the reason the NBA needed saving was because people were disillusioned with the league that was so overwhelmingly black. Um, yeah. Just people much preferred a world in the earlier 70s when Jerry West, John Havlicek, and Dave Cowens were the best players than a league where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Julia Serving were the best players. Um, and that was a major issue in the NBA. And thankfully, we've overcome it. I mean, we're obviously far from far from done with that. I mean, there are still... I remember, I think a couple of years ago in Utah with Russell Westbrook, there was a racism incident. Yeah, um, yeah I, I actually wrote a 
I don't know if I wrote an article about that, but I wrote something about that a while ago, just about that incident. I think I actually wrote it for our English class. Yeah. Just about the incident with Russell Westbrook and how there's still – because Kyle Korver, I don't know if you saw this, but Kyle Korver was on the jazz at that point. Yeah. And he wrote a an incredible essay. Article. It was, it was yeah. an incredible essay. It is one of my favorite articles I've ever read. So, I mean, for people listening – I would recommend to, to read yeah. that. I think another important thing in the NBA is the coaches, where yeah. really across the NBA and college, where Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich, just to name a couple guys, have both been extremely vocal on these issues over the years and yeah. have been so supportive of their players with whichever choice they make. Um, I mean... They've just been incredible on any of these issues over the years. Um, And they've been really forceful and not scared to say things. I mean, the same can be said for college basketball, where, like, Mike Krzyzewski has always been very willing to let his players express their opinions. Um, And he's really made an effort to tap into the experience of African-Americans. Whereas you just see across the board in the NFL and college football, that's not the case. I mean, because we see with the NFL already, they have such an issue with hiring minority coaches in the NFL. Yeah. But, I mean, college football really has an issue with this stuff. I mean, like Nick Saban has a strict no commenting on anything outside of football policy. I mean, he in 2016, he did not let his players leave practice to vote on Election Day. What? And, I did not hear that. Yeah, and I think it's very telling that at Clemson, Trevor Lawrence has made a statement and Dabo Sweeney has not. Yeah, I, I saw the Trevor Lawrence statement. And Joe Burrow, I know he's not a college player anymore. But he came out with a statement. He had a, he had he a really good awesome. tweet the other day. Yeah, he did. Um, and also, I think going on to the NFL, which you were talking about for a little bit, I think Brian Flores had yeah. – I, I don't know if this was a tweet or whatever. It was a statement he, from the Dolphins. It. Yeah, it was a statement from the Dolphins. I that, saw it on Adam Schefter's Twitter. It was, it was great because he talked about everything that we're talking about now. I mean, he talked about like how they're – the minority coaching – and what the NFL is trying to do. And he, he was a great statement. Yeah. Which I think. Yeah. Yeah. I I really think Brian Flores is just a smart guy who really understands both what is happening in the world and what his role is in trying to help create change. Um, and I was really impressed by it, that statement. I mean, we've yeah. talked a lot. Of, we like we talk a lot about this podcast, just about how much we love Brian Flores in the context of football, and that we think he's a really good coach for the Dolphins. But it's so clear that he's just an incredibly well-rounded and articulate and intelligent person. Yeah, I mean, we, as for but Brian Flores really knows how to get to his, connect with his players. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's an important thing today. 
in leagues. I mean, when you have situations where coaches are, um, uh, but you know, when you have coaches whose players are majority African American, um, you have to learn to connect with your players. At the end of the day, a guy like Mike Krzyzewski would not be able to connect with his players if he wasn't able to understand what was happening. Or a guy like Steve Kerr, who, I mean, just by looking at him, he's doesn't look like necessarily the type of guy who would understand how to tap into the African-American experience. But the fact that he's able to connect with his players in such a strong way and that he's willing to say that I am white and cannot empathize, cannot understand what my players are going on, but I can completely empathize with what they're going through, and I support anything they're going to do to try to create change, is really telling. I mean, the same can be said for Greg Popovich. I mean, just you see, like, Steph Curry has been extremely vocal in trying to create change in the world and trying to make the world a better place. I mean, and you just don't see that at all at the college level with guys like Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, who, I mean, listen, those are the two most influential coaches in college football today. And I think, you know, it's a problem that they're not willing to do that. But I think it's just an example of the role sports plays in in the greater world and, you know, how sports players and coaches really do have a job to try to make the world a better place because at the end of the day, we root for these guys because they're our favorite players, but they've been given such an extraordinary platform and the fact that sports is a place where within the game itself, I really think it's one of the most progressive outlets in the world in terms of not caring about this stuff and trying to achieve true diverse harmony. Um, Players have a job to use that as an outlet to create a change for the world. I mean, part of the Last Dance documentary that discouraged me the most and was most upsetting was the part about Harvey Gantt, who was the first African-American Senate candidate in North Carolina, who was running against an overt racist who was basically everything you could be short of pro-segregation. And Michael Jordan's statement when he said, Republicans buy sneakers too was troubling because obviously the entire Republican party is not racist and that statement in itself is not necessarily so bad but when you say it in the context of refusing to comment on a race in your home state where you have the first African American candidate against an overt racist I think that was troubling and I think that's an area where even if, I mean, we try on this podcast to not be political. And I understand if you're a guy like Michael Jordan, who doesn't want to be political, that can completely be his choice. Um, But that's an area that's not political. That's an area that's an issue of right and wrong, 
when you have a candidate who whose victory speech he says there's no joy in Mudville tonight. That not that's not making a statement about Democrats and Republicans. That's making a statement about right and wrong. And that was something that really troubled me with Michael Jordan. Um, and I still think he's the greatest basketball player of all time, but I will never be able to respect him as a person the way that I respect a guy like LeBron James, who has just been incredible in using his platform to help make the world a better place. I mean, he's been very active on social media the past couple days. He created an entire school in Akron for underprivileged youth. Um, he's really just an incredible all-around person. Um, and he's really been on the front lines trying to make the world a better place. Um, but I think something that sports has done, and I really think with the NBA, in a way that America hasn't done, is that it's not only looked at its past and acknowledged that it was wrong, but it's really tried to leave that behind in a sense where if you look at America today, I think regardless of what is happening, the vast majority of people will acknowledge that we have a problem with racism in our history and that America for most of our history was simply a terrible place for African-Americans. And yet for some reason we still never look at any event that occurred in America really before the last 40 years we still look at it through the prism of as if it was happening today and aren't able to separate the fact that African-Americans weren't involved. I mean, just at the end of the day, some of our great political heroes from that time were entirely surrounded by white men, which is something that is just considered something you can't do today. I mean, I think just if you look at the NBA, the NBA really was a dark racial place in the 60s. I mean, it was the last league to integrate. There were teams such as the St. Louis Hawks that openly intimidated black players. And what Bill Russell went through was really terrible. I mean, there's a reason he doesn't have a relationship really with the city of Boston, where Boston has had a lot of issues with racism in sports. I mean, the Red Sox were the last team in baseball to integrate, and they passed up a chance to sign Willie Mary- Mays, Jackie Robinson, and Hank Aaron. But the Celtics in the city- 60s, despite winning championships every year and being perhaps the greatest dynasty of all time, did not have a lot of fanfare, whereas the last pace Bruins were consistently selling out their building every night. Um... And, you know, it's, it's an issue and something that the NBA has faced, that the Bruin, a random March game with the Bruins was selling out because they were an all-white team, whereas a team whose best players were guys like Bill Russell and Sam Jones and KC Jones and had Bill Russell as a player coach were going at 70% capacity for Game 7 and had less popularity than they did when their best player was Bob Cousy. 
And all of a sudden, when their best players were John Havlicek and Dave Cowan's popularity for the Celtics soared again. I mean, but that's something that the NBA has faced and something that the Celtics as an organization has faced. And it's really something that not only have they been willing to admit, but it's something they've been willing to confront in a way that I think America as a whole really hasn't been able to do yet. And use that scar as fuel to make the world a better place. And I think even if you look at a sport like baseball, it's something that the players in baseball have done, but not necessarily something that the league has done where baseball obviously has the darkest history of any sport because it goes the farthest back. I mean, baseball was segregated for 40 years and they had an entire separate league called the Negro leagues. And I always find it astounding that people are just willing to put out Babe Ruth as the greatest player of all time without acknowledging that he played against an extremely diluted talent pool because there were no African-Americans in baseball at the time. I mean, any player who played at the time obviously has to be considered an all-time great. Like, I consider Walter Johnson to probably be the greatest pitcher of all time. But at the end of the day, the fact that they didn't play against African-Americans is a big issue. And yet, for some reason, we look at it the exact same way. We're just, listen, no matter which way we want to go about it, the 19, you know, the 1933 All-Star Game, the first baseball All-Star Game, was not a representation of the greatest baseball talent in the world in the way it would be even 20 years later. Because... At the time, baseball was the most popular sport and young African-American kids were turning towards baseball. And you had an entirely separate league where you had guys like Josh Gibson and Cool Papa Bell and Satchel Paige who could have been the best players in baseball. I mean, it's not even clear that Babe Ruth was the best player in baseball at the time. It very well could have been Josh Gibson who, if he had played in the majors, I firmly believe would be one of the top 10 players of all time. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt with that. And once baseball integrated, Jackie Robinson had to go through a lot of bullshit that no human should ever have to go through with both on his team and against other teams. I mean, I think 42 it's not necessarily my favorite movie from a cinematic standpoint, but it's really informative in terms of what Jackie Robinson had to go through. I mean, both on his team with guys like Dixie Walker and against other teams with guys like Ben Chapman, who was the manager of the Phillies, the abuse he took was unconscionable, but once he was able to earn the respect of his players and fellow teammates and showed that he was willing to help the ball club, that really is what earned him and other African-Americans respect around the majors, where at the end of the day, what makes sports so great is that no matter your differences, if you're someone that's going to help your team win, you'll more likely than not be accepted within the clubhouse. And that's why sports clubhouses really are, in my opinion, the model of the way America should confront racism as a whole, 
I mean, if you just want to look at the way diversity and unity should look in America, you just go to right now an NBA or an MLB or an NFL locker room where you have a a completely diverse group of races, backgrounds, ethnicities, socioeconomic situations. But at the end of the day, if we're going to help the team win, you're going to be accepted. And that creates a bond which will help you make change in the greater world. I mean, just even Dixie Walker, who I mentioned before, who was still traded the next year as a punishment for the way he cheated Jackie Robinson, went up to him at the end of the year and said, thank you for helping us reach the World Series. Um, and I think that's an important thing. I think baseball has suffered in the sense that it's fallen in popularity. So baseball now, it has a... I think it's like 9% of baseball is African-American. Part of that is due to the massive jump in Latino players. Um, But I think baseball as a league has not always been the best in confronting racism. But I think part of that is because of how incredible baseball clubhouses were. And I truly believe that really the NBA as a league and baseball within each clubhouse really can be looked at as a model for what we want America to look like as a greater country. And to anyone who says sports is just a game, it kind of upsets me because we all understand that. I mean, I said that at the beginning of the podcast, but First off, sports is just so much more to us who care about it. I mean, some of the happiest and saddest moments of my life involve sports, and that's just a fact, like any passion. But more than that, sports can be an outlet for life and an outlet at the way we should look at the world. And really the the value of teamwork and camaraderie and unity and friendship and putting aside differences to come towards a common goal is I think something that sports has been able to achieve that the rest of the world, and especially America, really hasn't been able to. And I think that's a really sad thing. And I think it's a sad thing when people take advantage of that. Um, And I think it's a sad thing when people ignore that. I mean, sports is one of the great things that America has to offer. And if we're just cycling back to the beginning when we talked about the 1968 Detroit race riots, the part every day where the riots would settle down was during the Tigers games because that Tigers team was an incredible team that was one of the best teams in baseball and went on to win the World Series. And that Tigers team unified the city of Detroit and really more than anything else was responsible for helping tamp down relations because, listen, we can have our issues with each other. But at the end of the day, when the Tigers were in the World Series, everyone is going to the ballpark or watching on TV. And that really is the true power of sports. I mean, if you look at the Brooklyn Dodgers, perhaps there is no more diverse place in America than Brooklyn. You have your African Americans, you have you have your white community, you have a Hispanic community. Within that, you have Dominicans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans and Haitians 
And then you have your Jewish community and you have your Italian community and you have your Russian community. And then within those communities, you have your Ashkenazi and Sephardic Jewish community. Within those, you have the Russians and the Germans and the Lithuanians and the Polish. But everyone came together to go watch the Brooklyn Dodgers. And that's what, to this day, makes the Brooklyn Dodgers one of the most famous and popular teams in sports history. And I really hope that when sports comes back, it can be a way for people to come together and unify. Because at the end of the day, when I'm at a Ravens game, I do not care what the person sitting next to me, what his political opinions are, what his background is. I don't care about any of that. All I know is that when the Ravens score a touchdown, I have someone to high five. And that's the power of sports. And that's the greatness of sports. And it's not something that should be ignored or taken lightly. Um, so I think that's all I have for now. Yoni cut out about 15 minutes ago, which is why you've heard me monologuing. Um, I hope I have done my best. But I think this was a really important podcast for us to do because there was so much happening in the world. And like we said at the beginning, it just wouldn't feel right to just do a podcast, just sort of ignoring everything that's happening around us. Um, But remember, check out our Instagram at the floater pod, the website floaterpod.com. Our podcast is on Spotify. We also have Twitter. You want to go check that out. Um, but otherwise, I think this has been a really important and informative podcast, and I had a lot of thoughts I wanted to get out, and I think this has been a really good way for me to do that. I know for the first part, the same can be said for Yoni. Um, but otherwise, thank you, um, and do what you can to make the world a better place. If you don't feel comfortable right now because of the coronavirus, I understand. I feel that way. But we all have a role to do and it's important to us to do what we can to stand in solidarity with everyone to help make the to just do what we can because our society has a lot of problems and we're living in a time with a lot of strife and it goes beyond sports and you know i don't think that we're i'm going to change up the ending message a little bit today Um, and I think more than ever, if you feel comfortably doing so, don't necessarily stay home, go out and protest, but more than anything, stay safe and stay loyal.